Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Strangers, there are a number of fantastic homes throughout the United States that are shrouded in some kind of mystery or another, like a really good haunting or a murky past. Or, even better, a curse. Some of our favorites, in fact, have developed their own titles and are celebrated on their independently supernatural merits. We do appreciate a home that can stand on its own foundation. California's Winchester House is perhaps the most famous of this genre. It exists within a strange mix of true history and concocted folklore, and we can't imagine it any other way. The staircases to nowhere, the hidden doors, the sense of panic, of trying to outrun the inevitable, that's written into every eave and floorboard of the place. We think it's that suspension of disbelief and erosion of the line between fact and fiction that gives it a special flavor. A classic mystery house, then, seems to be an organic thing, something that isn't built. It just is, or it just becomes. It would stand to reason, then, that the technical definition of a mystery house is something that seldom, if ever, comes up for debate. Then again, there's always an exception, isn't there? And there is substantial irony, we think, in the notion of announcing to the world that you're building a mystery house. Does the name not imply that we're not supposed to be privy to the finer details, the how and the why of it all? That's the tricky question on our doorstep today, the story of a certain home in Kalispell, Montana. The nature of the unexplained and your concept of the supernatural? Invite those along for this debate. We're going to start at the beginning, back in 1972. In April of that year, the Billings Gazette reported that a controversy was brewing along US Highway 2 in Kalispell. Now, 
It was not a controversy about mystery houses per se, although one was involved. No, strangers. We begin with the equally salacious issue of municipal permitting. See, the Billings Gazette reported that 24 neon signs had appeared along Highway 2, advertising not a present attraction, but a forthcoming mystery house. The Gazette explained that local officials were unclear how those neon signs came to be erected. The sign company said it had received confirmation of a permit for not only the 24 signs that were up, but an additional 26 to boot. And local officials, presumably alarmed at the notion of 50 neon signs for a mystery house that didn't yet exist, they couldn't find any record of any permitting at all, not with the local government, and nothing concrete ever came from the sign company either. They'd gotten a go-ahead that couldn't be verified by anyone else. As far as we can tell, this was several weeks, if not months, of back and forth. As far as the Billings Gazette can tell us, those initial 24 neon signs stayed up, but it was certainly a weird vibe all around. Missing from this kerfuffle, at least initially, was the man behind the mystery house, one Joe Haber. He was a local businessman, although what sort the press never mentioned. The Missoulian would write many, many decades later that Joe Haber and his wife Marge were wandering the Montana wilderness in 1970 when they came upon a mysterious vortex in the woods. No, we're not kidding, and yes, it made Marge extremely nauseated. More on that vortex in a bit. Now, Joe is never quoted directly on this permitting debacle back in April of 1972. However, he did speak to the Daily Interlake about two weeks after the issue came to light on a related subject. Apparently, he felt as though the people of Kalispell, Montana were out to get him and his mystery house in progress. And, according to local reports, his suspicion was not without merit. Per the Daily Interlake, quote, Haber states that the sign company has had to reinforce signs which have been vandalized. His signs are the only ones singled out, and there are hundreds of other signs along the area's roads. By singling him out and reporting attempts to destroy the signs by persons unknown using chainsaws, Haber feels reporters are encouraging this lawless activity, which has cost him several thousand dollars. Okay, lots to unpack here. Now, we too would be upset about vandals taking chainsaws to our promotional materials, whether it had the proper permitting or not. Whether we'd blame journalists for mentioning it is, let's say, another issue. But speaking of things that journalists mention, or rather don't, what the papers fail to report is why a contingent of Montanans were so irate about the idea of a mystery house. Perhaps locals simply thought that the signs were an eyesore. Far be it from us to say, as we can't seem to scrounge up any photos. That said, though, it seems possible. But, as subsequent articles suggest, it also seems possible that locals simply didn't like the mystery house itself. In theory, or in practice. 
The House of Mystery opened sometime between 1972 and 1975. It's not more precise than that. We just know it was forthcoming in 1972, and by 1975, the Daily Interlake reported that not only did the Haber House of Mystery exist, it was being targeted by a persistent arsonist. Yes, you heard that right. A persistent arsonist who tried and eventually succeeded in burning down part of the House of Mystery. Details in the press are sparse, but Joe Haber wrote into the inner lake in support of the police response, saying, It lets us sleep a little safer at night. Not one to let a normal positive sentiment lie, Joe also added, If the police officers would have more cooperation from our judicial system that turns repeated offenders back on the street again and again to prey on us, our country wouldn't be having the problems we are now experiencing. Mind you, strangers, we found no indication in this article or elsewhere that the Mystery House arsonist was actually caught. So what exactly had people so up in arms about Haber's House of Mystery? So much so that chainsaws and even arson were in the mix. Again, we can only speculate on this point. Whatever there was didn't seem to catch hold of the media's attention in the 1970s or the 80s. It's not until May of 1989 that the Kalispell Daily Interlake gives us some more insight into what the House of Mystery had in store. And boy, was it... something. Per that ad in the Interlake, quote, The dictionary describes a vortex as something which resembles a whirlpool. But at the House of Mystery on US 2, a vortex is a place where gravity stands on its head. A woman named Anne Washatko, the house's apparent owner at this point, and don't ask us how that happened because no one explained it, was quoted in the story. She told reporters, Weird magnetic flaws exist at Montana's only vortex, where the laws of physics are broken and visitors feel strange forces, and the environment is askew. Now, according to the ad, a visitor's experience at the house and its accompanying vortex would consist of a tour of the House of Mystery and a stop at the curio shop, as well as a potential run-in with evil spirits. So, pretty standard American roadside fare. Now, modern articles give us a little more detail, and we can surmise that not much has changed over the decades. There are never any mentions of major refurbishments or technological upgrades, so we'll take that silence as confirmation that we're right. Thank you very much. In any case, a Great Falls Tribune article from 2017 gives us an overview of the experience. From the look of the pictures we've seen in this article and elsewhere, the House of Mystery appears more like a shack than a house, ramshackle and tiny and made of a uniform dark wood. If the name House of Mystery conjures up any mental images of grandeur, and if those images haven't been thoroughly dispelled by our use of the word shack, let's delve a little deeper. Per the Montana Standard, 
This shack is leaning to the left at a fairly sharp angle, so that the right side of the A-line roof is nearly parallel with the tree line. This was apparently done to accentuate the natural electromagnetic vortex on which the house is built. More on that in a moment. But per the Great Falls Tribune, quote, for visitors, it's impossible to stand at a normal angle. They can roll a marble up an inclined ramp. And when someone is asked to sit in a chair against a wall and try to stand up from it, they cannot. Plus, there's a rope hanging from the ceiling that actually hangs at a curve. Yet, stepping outside the door, most people feel perfectly normal. Strangers, the visual oddities continue even outside the shack. Quote, there's a walkway where whoever's offering the tour at the time demonstrates that the ground is level. One person stands on one end of the platform, while another is approximately six feet apart on the other end. They appear to shrink or grow several inches, no matter how many times they swap places. Elsewhere near the shack, the Great Falls Tribune says visitors can walk through a labyrinth to channel the vortex's energy or simply sit under the trees, which, apparently, grow in odd circular shapes at the vortex, though the photos we've seen make them look like fairly average trees. However, we do not claim to be arborists. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode. Kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Strangers, if we're coming across a little unimpressed here, it's because, on paper, this is a fairly run-of-the-mill tourist trap, banking on optical illusions and visitors' desire to be part of something strange. And, well, we relate to that. Don't you all? But wanting a story to be true, or a vortex to be swirling in a forest floor, doesn't necessarily make it so. And, as with any touristy spot, it's ultimately the people who run this sort of thing who set the tone for how respectable it might be. Honestly, there's so little information out there on the current proprietors of the Montana Vortex that it's hard for us to get a read on them. The Missoulian introduces us to Ali and Joe Hauser, not to be confused with Joe Hopper, the house's original owner, anyway, the Housers had apparently taken over the property in the summer of 2007. Three or so years prior, they told the paper they'd visited the Montana Vortex property and they'd become enamored. Quote, they'd stopped at the House of Mystery, felt the energy, heard it was for sale. 
Allie was a mom. Joe was a former environmental biologist, a former manager at Sears. They did some research, learned about vortexes, packed it up and moved. Allie describes it as a spiral of energy, a spinning electromagnetic force, bending time and space like water down a drain. The article takes care to point out that Allie and Joe are, quote, two of the nicest folk you'll ever meet. They are not sideshow carnies, not snake oil salesmen. They are, to all appearances, true believers. Which is reassuring, but also very subjective. What is a true believer, really, when it comes to vortexes? And our inner skeptics do have to wonder about the inconsistencies we've found in both reporting on the Vortex and the Vortex's own promotional materials. Some say that the Housers happened upon the house while on vacation. Others suggest that they already live nearby. Some say they purchased the property in 2004 or 2005, and others say the purchase didn't happen until 2007. And there's the dissent, too, about whether 2005 or 2006 or 2007 was the Housers' first operational year in charge. In the Great Falls Tribune's telling, the Housers didn't buy the property until 2014. Ali Hauser is described variously as a mom or a yoga teacher. Obviously, she could be both. Joe, abstractly, as a scientist, a former sales executive, and our favorite distinction from the interlake in 2006, quote, Joe was a biologist whose profession involved science, which feels like a weird thing to have to clarify. Like Joe Hopper with a B, we know exceptionally little about these people, and they're rarely quoted in anything that's not promotional material. There's no record that we can find of the chain of custody of this property and how it was handed off from Joe Haber to Anne Washutko, remember her, to the Housers, and whoever else may have come and gone in between. And even for the Haubers, Joe and Marge, per the Missoulian, they apparently bought the property in 1970 and opened the House of Mystery shortly thereafter. But according to the Great Falls Tribune, they bought it in 1965 and intended to retire and maybe open a campground. Strangers, this all adds up to one big question mark in our book. We're not ones to force explanations, but a house of optical illusions is hardly something to feign wonder at. It might not be, at least, except for one strange thing. Luckily for us, and for the runtime of this episode, we're not going to wrap this thing up by telling you that the Vortex is a tourist trap concocted to sell tickets. Nope. We're thrilled to report that there's not only a tilted house and marbles running uphill to unpack at the Montana Vortex. Oh no. Per the Daily Interlake, visitors to the Vortex likely notice signs up near the house and the obligatory gift shop cautioning that people can experience dizziness, nausea, and upset stomachs as they explore. As some of our team have taken great pains to point out, that could just as well be the vertigo that results from moving through a lopsided house rather than a kind of vortex sickness. But it would, in fairness, take a very sensitive stomach 
to have that kind of reaction in a stationary setting. And it wouldn't explain the other stuff. That's right, there's more. In 2005, in what appears to be an ad for the Vortex, the Daily Interlake mentions a standby for us lovers of a haunted location, orbs. Quote, Unidentified by the world of science, orbs are round balls of light energy that can appear day or night. In colors of white, blue, and purple, orbs have been seen by countless visitors and have appeared in numerous photos. And shooting orbs have an energy trail which looks like a spiral streak. And if that's not eerie enough, the paper adds that, in addition to orbs, energy fields, in the forms of colored clouds and mists, are often spotted around the house as well. And of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't also mention the cryptids. The Vortex's own website, copyrighted last in 2021, though with brightly colored sans-serif fonts, it does feel very 90s, touts that otherworldly creatures often make appearances here. The website reports that, quote, orbs, UFOs, strange lights, Bigfoot sightings and vocalizations, and many other strange anomalies may occur while you are on the grounds. We have had four Bigfoot sightings on the grounds, and Columbia Mountain is a UFO hotspot. In addition, we have many Bigfoot casts on display in the gift shop. That is an easy sell as far as we're concerned. And perhaps most uncannily, according to NBC Montana, digital photographs taken inside the House of Mystery often have distortions or pieces missing. For instance, quote, Courtney Navier took a picture of her husband, Sam. The picture shows Sam with an image of what appears to be a window in his torso. That is a little more like it, if we do say so ourselves. And visitors to the Vortex appear to agree. Not only that there's something otherworldly going on there, but that it feels good. Per the Missoulian in 2000, quote, Allie reckons that somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 people felt the energy last year. The guest book shows visitors from Texas, Oklahoma, Iowa, Arizona, and many other states not lucky enough to have their own vortex. One traveler wrote, felt the energy. Magnificent, wrote another, good to the bone. And that, strangers, is the crux of it, isn't it? Does a house of mystery really need to do all that much more than present a mystery and give people a good time as they try to unravel it? When we ask for standards of proof to be met, it can sometimes mean that we sacrifice the reason we were asking for proof in the first place. A desire to know is not necessarily the same as a desire to learn. Whether it's an electromagnetic vortex or Bigfoot or aliens or just clever tricks of the eye and slates of hand, the house of mystery is just that, a mysterious draw for people spanning states and decades. And far be it from us to tell any shack or house 
otherwise. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There, you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, full-length bonus episodes, blogs, fun giveaways, and occasional live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes.